You may be aware that the Buddha described the uh, liberated mind, a person who has become an Avahant, the experience of Nibbana, the end of defilements, the final goal of our whole practice, the realization of the deathless element, all these different ways of expressing that. And one simile the Buddha gives is a fire gone out. In particular, he gave that explanation when he was asked the classic Indian Tatwalema. There was a known way in ancient India how to classify different spiritual teachings. And so what happens to the person who has attained the ultimate goal of that spiritual teaching? So um, in the case of uh, the Dhamma, the, the supreme first example of someone who has fully realized the Dhamma of the Buddha is the Buddha himself, also known as the Tathagata, the thus gone one. And the question now is, what happens after death? So does the Tathagata exist after death? Or does he not exist? Or does he both exist and not exist? Or number four, does, does he neither exist nor not exist? Ancient Indian logic, now these are the four options. So someone attains the final goal of the Dhamma, Nibbana, Avahanship, full release, a deathless element. Now uh, at some stage and this person dies. And what happens with that person after death? Do they exist? Or do they not exist? And then these two additional options, if it's none of these two, maybe they both exist and do not exist, or they neither exist nor not exist. This seems to cover the ground fairly thoroughly, isn't it? It's difficult to think of any other option. And uh, those days, spiritual practitioners of different religions, groups, sects, and they would walk around, they would ask these questions. And do you know what is the Buddha's answer on that? Maybe someone from a different religion may ask you. Maybe a Catholic comes or a Muslim and they ask you, what, what happens to someone who attains uh, Nibbana, who attains enlightenment in the Buddhist religion? And after death, what is your answer? Do they exist or not exist? Or? Hmm? Dharma exist? So what is the answer? After death, the Buddha, I mean, has happened to Buddha Gautama. Does he exist now? Does he not exist? Or both or neither? What's the correct answer? How do we answer that question if we are being asked without misrepresenting the Blessed One, without incurring any censure of those who are knowledgeable about the Dhamma? What's the correct answer? Yeah? If you, if you are a Zen Buddhist, you stamp your foot. You stamp your foot. <laughs> or do some other action. To, I think this is a relatively good answer. It's one of the best you can give. Uh, verbally, the Buddha would state that he hasn't declared that. So the Buddha hasn't declared 
that the enlightened person exists after death. He also hasn't declared that they don't exist. He hasn't declared that they both exist and not exist. And he hasn't declared that they neither exist nor not exist. Because uh, all of these answers are misleading. And one simile how the Buddha tried to explain to people why it is misleading to apply these four categories to someone who has gone beyond all reckoning and attained Nibbana is the, the fire simile. And the Buddha would describe as someone who attains Nibbana with the fire gone out. Nibbuto is why you sometimes read also the translation for Nibbuto with extinguished. And even Nibbana is sometimes translated like that and they use an etymology Maybe Nibbana is like the blowing out of a flame. There's only one big problem with that, that uh, ancient Indian understanding of the fire was different from modern understanding. And if you have uh, a candle burning in front of you, and I come and I blow that out, or extinguish that, then usually you would say that now the fire doesn't exist anymore isn't it? That would be our understanding. And this is not how the ancient Indians perceived it. For the ancient Indians, the fire, when you extinguish it, it it goes out due to lack of nutriment, and maybe the candle burns down till the wax is exhausted. The ancient Indian position was that now the fire has gone in a non-manifest state, and uh, it wouldn't really apply that it exists or it doesn't exist. It hasn't gone anywhere. Also, it doesn't apply that it went into any direction. It would just be reckoned or calculated or considered as simply the nibuto. And I think there's a great danger in a modern misunderstanding. The one possible way of misunderstanding the Dhamma in terms of the two extremes is to take it as annihilationist. The teaching of the extinction of an existing being. And annihilationism is a very common philosophical position in our time and age. What is called in the modern science is basically what they're teaching. That the body... Uh, that dies at death and that what we call consciousness or the mind is simply a function of the body and once the brain is completely destroyed there's no longer consciousness and the person just ceases to exist this is not the position of the Buddha but because that is so common nowadays his teaching can easily be understood what's this extreme there are two extremes philosophically one is the eternalism uh, my soul will live forever. Once I die, my soul will be in eternal bliss with God. This is called eternalism. Like many uh, theistic religions would be teaching that. Uh, the other extreme would be the once one dies, you know, the brain stops working, decays, there's no more electricity in the nerves flowing, there's no more chemical reactions, and then there's simply nothing. The Buddha teaches that avoiding both of these extremes. So we have to be careful both extremes have to be avoided. 
And if someone believes in a theistic religion, they usually tend towards eternalism, that there's this eternal soul which will be in bliss forever or together with God. If someone has more what we call maybe a scientific attitude, according to modern science, they will easily veer to the other extreme, that there's simply nothing when one dies. But the big danger is now that we may misunderstand now the teaching of the Buddha indicating annihilation and the simile of the fire is going in this direction. The problem is further aggravated because now, India is a very hot culture and now, a coolness often has a very positive connotation. And that's still the case now, in Theravada Buddhist countries which are all tropical and even here in Queensland. On the other hand, if you think of a good old blighty in England and you're sitting in your terraced housing and you have in, in winter, you have got a nice fireplace with the fire burning and it's nice and cozy and you warm up and sitting on the fire, it's very nice. And now I come in with a bucket of water and I extinguish this fire and then you sit shivering in front of the black cold embers it's not such a nice and a beautiful, inspiring simile. So there's another danger that we may misunderstand that. So in the Buddha's time, a flame garden out is first of all positive because if you're sitting at 50 degrees in the Indian hot season, the idea that the fire goes out is very positive. They also had a strong connotation that attachment, desire, passion, anger, and it's like a fire burning the mind. So it's also a positive connotation that the defilements are extinguished, they're no longer burning our heart. And then there's this very important, different kind of understanding of fire. Now the Buddha uses a simile because it's something which every normal person is aware of in that culture to explain something which is more profound, the attainment of Nibbana. But the basic simile you know, uh, relates to the common understanding of that day. And that common understanding was you know, that uh, fire doesn't become non-existent, but it's just released from the fuel. That's another important aspect of that simile. Upadana, which we translate as clinging, grasping, attachment. You know, the result of craving and then the result of clinging is bhava, existing, existence, being, becoming. But upadana in Pali also means fuel, like the fuel for a fire. So the wax in our candles is the upadana, the fuel, which can keep that flame going. And when you see the flame, when you light the f candle, so to speak, then the ancient Indian idea was that the fire now gets stuck on its fuel. It's stuck. Once the fuel is exhausted, now the candle burns out completely. In our modern understanding, we feel now the fire is simply non-existent. The ancient Indian idea was that this fire is now released from that attachment to the fuel and it goes into a kind of non-manifest, non-defined state. And it's released. That is actually a more convincing 
etymology for nibbana, nisvana, the unbinding, releasing, deliverance. You know, there's something is sometimes controversial. You, know, you can find that some teachers may even claim that we should understand the fire simile in the modern way. But I feel the simile of the great ocean is very beautiful because it balances the fire simile and there's no difference in understanding in ancient India and nowadays. Because one of the great bhikkhunis, and in fact you know, the um, chief disciple of the Buddha on the side of the bhikkhunis, the sister Kema, she was once asked by King Pasenadi, those days the kings they would like to you know, meet religious teachers and thus have discussions with them. So he was in a place where I traveling and you heard you know, that uh, there's this uh, well-known wise bhikkhuni, he went to her and uh, inquired and he asked her this uh, typical tetra lemma, what happens to the Tathagata, to the enlightened person after death? Do they exist or not, or both, or neither? And then knowing the teaching of the Buddha well, she refused to subscribe to any of the four of, uh, options. And she insisted that neither of the options has been declared by the Buddha. And when the king inquired, now, how am I going to understand that? Or how do you mean that? What, what is the reason, what's the cause that the Buddha hasn't uh, declared that? And she gave that a very simile of the ocean. Because she asked the great king, she said, Great King, do you have any servant, any uh, accountant, any bookkeeper who can calculate for you the great ocean contains so many buckets of water or so many hundreds of buckets of water or so many thousand buckets of water or so many hundred thousands of buckets of water. And although the king is so powerful and he can uh, pay with all his gold and any accountant, any bookkeeper, and he had to admit that there is no such person. When she asked why, the king explains, because the ocean is deep, immeasurable, unfathomable, profound. It is so much water that you just can't count. It's not possible to say it's so many buckets or so many liters. And then the sister Kema explains, it's the same with the Tathagata, the person who has uh, attained the final goal of Dhamma practice, whose mind is released. And they have gone beyond all reckoning, they have gone beyond all um, calculation, they can't be uh, defined, they can't be uh, described or circumscribed by any words, by any in the logical tetralemma, by any uh, thought, by any concepts. Because in order to define a person, to describe them, to reckon them, we need these five condors. Form, but the very form, in the case of an enlightened person, they have completely 
eliminated and uh, eradicated all attachments and the form will no longer arise once they pass away. Or you could uh, describe and reckon or calculate uh, a person by feeling Vedana or by perception or by an intention, Sankara, or by consciousness, Vijnana. But that has all been uh, eliminated, make, made like a palm stump can no longer arise in the future. All identification, all attachment, all craving to form, feeling, perception, intention and consciousness has been completely cut off and cannot come back. And that means that any way of describing the Tathagata, the enlightened person, even right here and now, even before they die, is no longer there, is no longer available. They have become like the great ocean, immeasurable, unfathomable, beyond calculation, deep, profound, cannot comprehend it by no rational thought, by thinking, cannot no comprehend it no, even by samadhi. And the nice thing about this simulina, you can't mistake that for annihilationism. Because you know, the ocean doesn't exist, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> the ocean cannot be you know, calculated, it's so deep and profound and so much water that there's no way of you know, measuring it. But that simile doesn't lend itself to be misinterpreted in the sense you know, that someone who attains enlightenment doesn't exist. So I think it's a very important one that to balance the other simile of the fire gone out. My sister came out to use still another simile, you know, the enlightened person. She asked the king, do we have an accountant who can count the grains of sand in the river Ganges? So many thousands, so many hundred thousand of grains of sand. Uh, similar, you know, the king has to admit there's no one who can calculate you know, the, the grains of sand in the river Ganges, too many. And also this simile doesn't lend itself for the interpretation that someone who has attained enlightenment doesn't exist after death. Actually it doesn't matter really before death or after death, because even while the Buddha was still walking 2,500 years ago in ancient India and teaching, even at that moment, he couldn't be defined, he couldn't be described, he couldn't be limited by form, feeling, perception, intention or consciousness. He was already gone beyond reckoning, beyond measuring, beyond definition and description. Okay, we can share merits with all beings. Teachers and guides, good my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all the virtuous leaders of the world, may.
Sangha. 